Hello and welcome to Michigan State University College of Osteopathic Medicine and the statewide campus system. This is our monthly MedEd eForum. I'm excited to have my friend and colleague uh, with me today, Dr. Katie Ruger, who is the Associate Dean of Admissions and Student Life at Michigan State College of Osteopathic Medicine. She provides leadership over the division of pre-college programs, recruitment admissions, wellness and counseling, and student leadership and engagement. She is also our lead facilitator for the Leadership Development Institute, which I was happy to be part of the inaugural group two years ago in that program. She is here today to talk to us about the true colors of leadership. Dr. Ruger, all yours. Well, thanks so much, Deb. I'm really happy to be here and welcome to those of you who are participating live or virtually. We're happy to have you. Um, so there's a little bit of ambiguity uh, around this title, True Colors of Leadership. What exactly does that mean? And I want to preface this by talking a little bit about what I plan to cover today and how it may or may not influence you as a leader. So um, if you're in a leadership position now, whether it's formal or informal, if you're a parent, if you play sports, if you have any influence over other people, I hope that this will be helpful. But the goal here today is really to explore our personal true colors of leadership and where our style and way in which we influence others really comes from. So we're gonna explore a little bit about how our life experiences influence our leadership capacity and approach, and maybe even get down to the idea of wondering if we're utilizing our fullest leadership potential. And if not, what are the blind spots that may be prohibiting us from doing so? So it's a little bit more of a self-exploratory conversation than it is a leadership lecture. So we're gonna maybe dig a little bit more deeper than what you might get in a personality assessment or a leadership assessment that you might find through something like Myers-Briggs or the DISC analysis, even a 360 review. There's a personality assessment called True Colors. Uh, we're not really gonna cover that today, um, but hopefully this will help you to understand a little bit about what informs your style, um, focusing on like a human behavior perspective. So welcome. So the first thing I want to start with is this idea that leaders influence people, influence others, each other. And we do that as leaders and as followers. And we influence other people through our behavior, through our reactions and our decisions. And so it's a pretty delicate relationship when you think about it. Behavior, of course, is a function of a lot of things. Maybe our genetic makeup, our memes, which if that's the first time you've heard that word, I'll cover what that means momentarily. And then our personal values, our assumptions about the world and others, our beliefs and our expectations of the world. So that's really what informs our behavior as human beings. And of course, we develop aspects of our leadership and behavior early in life, maybe through early childhood play, through sport, through um, interactions in a classroom, for example. And then of course, those behaviors evolve through our life experiences and take one direction or the other. So they're mobile, we can change, people can change, otherwise leadership would be kind of pointless. Um, but I think what's important to note and what we'll talk about a lot today 
is that everyone has a different path to developing these behaviors. So not everybody was born in the same place and had the exact same schooling and parental styles and access to resources and people and places and um, challenges and experiences. And so it's important to note that we all have had a different pathway to get there. And then finally, the idea today is that effective leaders ultimately should and do take a genuine interest in human behavior, in both their own behavior and those that they influence to help inform their strategy, the way in which they motivate people, etc. That being said, leaders aren't and shouldn't be perfect. We are human beings and we have our own challenges that we've experienced throughout that involvement. So we'll talk about that today too. So just as a starting point, a little exploration here, I'll ask a couple of questions and maybe you can relate to these and maybe you can't. I personally can for sure. <laughs> but the question here is, um, have you ever tried to get a team member to do something that they just aren't responding? They're not motivated and you really don't understand why it is that they can't get excited about something that you're excited about, or maybe they don't want to engage in a project or they seem disengaged, that may have happened. Um, on the contrary, have you yourself been asked to do something at work and you've resisted? Or have you ever asked, why would he do that? Or even why did I do that? Like and been embarrassed by, by your behavior or reaction to a certain situation. And even feeling heated or triggered based on somebody else's behavior or ideas. I think since we're all human beings, we may all have an affirmative answer to this question, but these are not the most desirable experiences to have in the workplace. And so if you've answered yes to any of these or have ever been like triggered <laughs> by a situation that caused some stress or some challenge, then we're gonna dive a little bit into where that reaction may have come from and really dive into those true colors that may inform your reaction or your approach in those situations. So what we'll focus on today is really why we behave the way that we do. And this is inspired by an article called The Leader's Guide to Why People Behave the Way They Do through Darden Business Publishing. It's a fantastic article. It is 26 pages, but I'm gonna give you some abbreviated uh, version of this article and information that would hopefully be helpful to you today. So as I mentioned before, as leaders, we've formed our behavior throughout the years based on a lot of different factors and a lot of different exposures and a lot of different people. So we may have life experiences informed by our culture, by our geography, by our socioeconomic status, familial influence, personal challenges, interests, access to education needs, et cetera, et cetera. And that's where our VABES come from, which is an acronym. And VABES is really talking about our own values, assumptions, beliefs, and expectations of ourselves and of the world around us. And so when you think about values, for example, you may think about like, oh, I value autonomy, I value praise, I value freedom or adventure. And those are all really important to you, which is great, but our values may be different. 
And if we have to work together in a team setting, or if I'm supervising you, or if you're supervising me, sometimes those values become misaligned. And so they're really important to acknowledge and understand and be aware of when you're working with other people and as leaders. And so we're really looking through our true colors there. The same goes with assumptions. You know, I'm just going to assume everybody is going to do their job and do it well, and that they have the skills to do their jobs well. And those are some of the assumptions that I may, may be making as a leader. Beliefs are helping inform our leadership approach as well. So my beliefs may be, I believe the best in other people, and I always default to presuming goodwill. And that's really important to me in my leadership style. And then the expectations part is sometimes tough. And again, misaligned with the expectations of the people that we influence. And so for me personally, I expected that folks would want what I want. <laughs> My expectation is that they would be motivated by the ways in which I was motivated. And um, I was wrong. <laughs> and so it's really important to know, like, what are my expectations and how am I projecting those on other people? And is it clear or not? And so really exploring how our values, assumptions, maybe even attitudes, beliefs and expectations may vary across populations, across team members, across um, groups and organizations and making sure that we know that our employees may have different values and it's important to get to know them as well. And then I'll talk about memes and I'll talk about personality holes. So um, we talked a little bit about the values, assumptions, beliefs, and expectations that inform your approach. And if you're live here, um, I would encourage you to maybe jot down some things that are important to you and come to mind in this regard could be informed by religious preferences or your upbringing or just things that you've experienced through challenges, just jot them down and maybe even think about if you can identify any of these babes in your team members or people that you work with. So in terms of memes, um, and really the goal here is as leaders and to be able to see our true colors, we have to have the power to see ourselves. And sometimes it's really difficult because we only want to see the good stuff. And that's really fun. Like the strengths finder is fun because we can see like, what are we good at? And what are we like when we feel kind of down in the day? Um, and then really emphasize the strengths of one's personality, which is a great exercise. Um, but at the same time, we are in a position of power and as such have a great influence over other people's experiences and if we can't see ourselves or the influence that we're having, whether positive or negative, it puts everybody at a really risky place. So that's where the memes come into play as well. So we know our babes. Now our memes are really kind of the mental genes. And so the idea behind memes is that we all have ideas or beliefs that have been passed down to us, probably from generation to generation. I'll tell you one for me, my grandfather always used to say, an honest day's pay for an honest day's work. It was kind of a meme that I grew up with and I understood and I always felt like it helped inform my value of working hard. You may have heard others that are like waste not, want not, um, or other ideas or beliefs that have been passed down to you that maybe you embrace or, or maybe you've adopted 
um, over the time. But you can see probably how those memes could influence you in very positive ways, but we also might get into the habit of, of course, projecting those on other people and assuming maybe that they share the same memes in our work and in their organization. The other thing, of course, that we can see in ourselves besides our babes and our memes and all the other acronyms that we're exposed to in this profession is um, how our culture influences our attitudes and our beliefs and our expectations of the world. And the idea here is that we tend to fall back on our own babes and our own worldview in our attempt to lead and influence other people, which is great if somebody else that you're leading has the same babes and the same worldview, but it's not always the case as we know. But the harder part to see is aside from our values, attitudes, beliefs, and expectations, our memes, our genetic makeup, there are sometimes emotional gaps with human beings, always emotional gaps with human beings. And as leaders, sometimes you have to hide those and suppress them or have addressed them and, and um, shown up in a really healthy way moving forward. But something that I think it's really important to acknowledge and that we rarely talk about in leadership training is identifying some of these blind spots and some of these emotional gaps that may show up in times of stress or in times when leaders are triggered and then they manifest into behaviors that may be harmful or impactful for the people that we influence. And so this slide may look a lot like it's talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs because it is, but the idea here is that if our needs growing up, especially as little ones are addressed affirmatively, we feel cared for and we feel safe. And that's the same as it goes in the professional world, in our familial world, et cetera. But when our needs are not fully addressed, that we didn't get warm when we were cold and we didn't get fed when we were hungry, et cetera, or hadn't met our emotional needs, then we tend to develop different feelings and we begin to assign different ideas like other people are not supportive. People are not trustworthy. I can't depend on other people. And then this uncertainty based on those gaps leads us to question our own security in the world. And that lack of security, especially in a leadership position, can manifest in some of those behaviors that maybe misaligned with how we really wanna show up in, in leadership. And that's where our defense mechanisms come into play. So the bottom line here is that if we don't know what our emotional gaps are, haven't acknowledged what they are as leaders, then we are more susceptible to practice defense mechanisms that may be harmful and um, impact the, the trust that one can generate amongst a team. And so you may, I, I experience this all the time. I know that I'm guilty of some of these defense mechanisms myself, humor being one of them. And that may be a healthy way to get through um, some of these challenges, but other things that tend to bubble up when there's an emotional gap that hasn't been acknowledged, recognized, or treated. And then all of a sudden we see ourselves as leaders and think about like, oh, why did I do that? That was a bonehead thing to do. Um, but really we were maybe responding with a defense mechanism. And so I'll show a couple of them here, although this is not an all-inclusive list, but it's really important for all of us to be aware how these things happen. And again, the impact it has on some of our followers. So what's happening here is that 
we're going from being creative leaders to reactive leaders, perhaps. And so sometimes what um, a lot of folks call the inner critic or that voice that is um, <laughs> less than ideal in our heads starts to criticize us and our inner critic and that voice speaks louder than our inner guide. Um, and so we start to think poorly about whatever happened in the situation and direct that either towards ourselves or to other people. Um, there's also a, a place where we start making assumptions and as assigning maybe blame or reason to a situation that um, may have been informed by another person's misalignment of values or added uh, assumptions or expectations. Taking control is a big one. Um, you, we've all worked with people and maybe we have been this person ourselves of like the controlling supervisor or somebody who feels the need to keep a really strong handle on different processes or procedures um, because otherwise it would maybe be threatening to those emotional gaps that um, exist within that individual. So that need to be in control and take control and um, have everything, you know, your way or my way. Labeling happens too. And so that's where we start to look around and say like, oh, well, that person's lazy or that person doesn't care um, as a defense mechanism to redirect that attention off of ourselves. Suppression of feelings may happen. Intellectualization, so not being able to connect the emotion to the cognition and really going into the direction of intellectualization, not being able to connect with other people. Disassociation would just be to kind of be in denial about the situation in and of itself, um, or having passive aggressive behaviors within team members, um, which I think we're all very familiar with that concept. The other thing that happens probably more frequently than not is uh, leaders projecting those emotional gaps on other people and um, projecting their expectations and their values on others, uh, rather than focusing more on providing autonomy for the people that they influence to be able to learn and grow without kind of bringing in some of these defense mechanisms into the picture. So it's a really delicate balance and a really um, powerful approach when as leaders, we can acknowledge that we are human, that we do have challenges that we deal with and know our triggers to be able to avoid these <laughs> true colors, if you will, from coming out in, in opportune times when it could really disrupt the trust of an organization. So from an early age, um, we're developing some of these habits, but I want to give you an example of like how emotional gaps may be manifested. And I, I'm guilty of this too. So I'll try to provide some examples of how I've, I've been um, in a mode of having my defense mechanisms impact team. But the one I can think of is um, a supervisor whose employee comes to them and they're so excited because they just accomplished a huge goal and they are going to share it with the supervisor and provide details about it and really kind of want to celebrate with that supervisor in the moment. Um, unfortunately, though, the supervisor responds and in a way kind of dismisses 
the employee's accomplishment. And rather than focusing on their achievements, they turn it around and they say, oh, well, when I was in that position, I did this, this, and this. And so, you know, we should celebrate me in this moment as well. Like, it's cool what you did. And I did something similar. And so all of a sudden, the conversation starts to revolve around the supervisor with the assumption that perhaps um, the only way that they received positive attention or what they needed when they were growing up was through achievements. And um, they really needed their employee to fill that emotional gap in that moment um, because there was maybe some insecurities there. And so the conversation all of a sudden started to revolve around the supervisor rather than um, celebrating that employee and the team member in that space. And so it causes disruption to that relationship. And it's probably quite discouraging for the employee in question. So the, the main key here to think about, um, and I love this quote from the article, Coaching the Toxic Leader from Harvard Business Review, because it's so easy to get into this place of um, toxicity in leadership, especially when an organization is unhealthy and people feel unsafe and they're not sure where it's going to go or what's going to happen. And so naturally everybody, leadership included, will start to feel maybe threatened and fearful, and then behave accordingly when those triggers are happening. And so the key here is that no matter what's happening and how leaders end up using their power really in part depends on their mental health, you know, those true colors, what's really going on under the surface. And if we can become sound, stable leaders, then we build organizations where rules make sense and we free our employees to focus on performing their jobs well rather than bringing in some of those old gaps and, and projecting those on our people like the way um, the supervisor did in the last example. So this may look like a therapeutic model because it is in a way, but it also pertains to leadership. Um, psychology and leadership are so intertwined in many ways. As you all know, we work with humans <laughs> and humans have psyches and we all um, process those differently. And so what typically happens is we go into a situation with our babes, let's say our assumptions about others' values, beliefs, and expectations, and that we assume that they know what ours are and what our expectations are as a supervisor. So we go into a situation and then something happens. There's an event that occurs. And in those events as human beings who have babes, we make observations. And we compare all events in relationship to our babes. And we quickly do this and automatically do it because that's how human beings function. And then we start to assign judgment based on our own values, attitudes, beliefs, and expectations to the event in question. And then from there, if we've made a decision that something is threatening um, or something is positive, it goes either way. Positive might be, oh, this is great. It's aligned with my values, assumptions, beliefs, and expectations. But if it's not, then it may, we may go into that defense mode um, to protect the self-concept and the things that are most important to us in that situation if those emotional gaps haven't been addressed. So from there, we um, jump to conclusions and make decisions and judgments 
about others in the situation, which leads to feelings. So if you've ever been through a challenging situation and your body starts to get a little hot, you have heart palpitations, you feel like your face is getting red. If it's a challenging situation, those defense mechanisms are coming up. You've reached a conclusion that made you feel not so great. And so those feelings then help inspire the behavior in terms of how we as leaders might react to a situation. And so we can see that without stopping between the defense mechanism and the event and really understanding like, oh, <laughs> I see my defense mechanisms are coming up here. My values are being um, challenged and it may be a good time to start thinking about like, oh, the other person in the situation may have maybe a different mindset around this. And it could be an opportunity to explore that rather than go right into the conclusion process um, where it's going to create feelings and then I'm going to behave accordingly. Maybe have more of an exploratory reaction to understanding exactly where these events and observations are coming from, what values are informing them from the other side. That makes sense. So kind of as a digression in a way, um, I just wanna note that a lot of us from an early age have learned how can I get other people to do what I want? And I know that's a kind of a weird phrase. It seems a little bit bossy or controlling or however you wanna say it, but in reality, like. Some of us wanted our friends to play dolls with us and others wanted to go play soccer outside. And there's like a level of persuasion that we had to learn growing up to see what exactly could influence other people. So it may be a healthy approach that you learned and it may have accompanied with a defense mechanism or a learned strategy. This is where maybe bullies were, were born. Um, Pretending to be pitiful, that's not my word, that's an article. Being the best at something may help influence a group of people towards a certain goal and using the carrot and stick approach. So all of these are learned strategies for influencing others and they're not all inclusive by any means, but I'm gonna talk a little bit more about carrot and stick because that tends to be kind of a scientific management business oriented approach to leadership and getting people to be motivated. Um, but if these uh, strategies worked for us as leaders throughout the years, meaning it produced what we wanted it to produce, then we may be sustaining it in our approach to leadership. So it, we may have engaged in a little bit of bullying or coercion um, with our team members because it's worked so far and we haven't experienced the consequences of that particular behavior or maybe the benefits outweigh the consequences, or we had to like be the best and always kind of be in control and drive the situation so folks could keep up with us in that regard. Um, or we persuaded through carrot and stick approach, meaning like, oh, I'll give you a cupcake if you played soccer with me, or if you don't play soccer with me, we're not gonna be friends anymore. And having like a kind of a punishment and reward system associated with that. So just knowing what that was for us as leaders growing up, maybe we've completely changed and it's no longer part of our being or process, but it may kind of help inform, um, you know, why you do the things that you do and how it's manifested now. So the goal of all of this, as I had alluded to earlier, 
is to move us from maybe being in that reactive state of leadership and becoming more creative. So I don't think anybody wants to be the type of leader that is passive aggressive or controlling or has to be in charge all the time or is using humor for everything because that could even be perceived as what we now call um, toxic positivity, I think. But really moving out of that reactive state, filling in the emotional gaps and becoming the creative leader that we know is effective and create safe spaces for our team members. And so part of the process of that in identifying one's true colors is to really have an ACT approach. This is kind of another therapeutic model, but um, the ACT approach really focuses on one's awareness, self-awareness, um, but more specifically focused on the awareness of your values and how those values help inform the thought about everything else, your expectations and your beliefs and awareness of your means and your culture and where you were born and what education you had access to and really being able to empathize with that for yourself and with other people. As you know, you supervise employees that have very different vibes and memes. So bringing awareness to that and really owning it is an important factor because um, our life stories are the way they are and we can use them to help us grow in a leadership capacity however we choose. And that's where choice comes into play. So now that we're aware of all of these things that helped inform our style and approach and our influence, are there things there that may be detrimental to our leadership? approach? Um, and are there things that are really great about what we've done with that information and maybe had mentors along the way or great experiences that we've helped to inform our leadership style? And that's where we make a choice about, well, what am I going to do with this information? I'm aware of it. I'm just I'm going to ignore it because it's worked for me so far. So I'm going to keep bullying or keep coercing uh, folks to do what I want until it hurts. But there's a choice to be made there. And then of course, a transformation to follow. And it requires quite a bit of work uh, to figure out exactly what these things mean and um, how they may be able to manifest in a leadership approach. So the bottom line, I guess, for leaders is that that self-awareness, we become aware of our memes, our personality holes or gaps, from those times where our needs might not be met and we all have them. If you don't, let me know and we can talk about like how full of a person you are, that's fantastic. Um, but really exercising courage to be able to meet um, yourself where you are, figure out where those gaps are and then how it is that you could be aware of them in those more um, triggering situations, we become freer, more autonomous and more authentic in our leadership approach. And then finding ways, again, to support the autonomy of others just engenders more followership. So really being able, since we're full in ourselves, to be able to offer other people the experience of trust and autonomy and not having to control them in that situation. Because persisting in the belief of control theory, which is kind of like the old way of management and leadership weakens leaders' ability to influence others. 
And so that um, you may have heard about theory X and theory Y, and this kind of helps inform these motivational theories where theory X um, was kind of like the scientific management process, the old Fordism theory where everybody needs to be on the line and we have to watch you really closely because you're just inherently unmotivated, lazy, stubborn, and you must be watched and almost micromanaged. And so in that situation, there's heightened supervision and then external rewards and penalties or more of that carrot and stick approach. Whereas these days, theory Y tends to be taking over quite a bit. Um, and that theory really says that actually people are intrinsically motivated, but they have to have safety and job satisfaction and autonomy and ownership over what it is that they're doing. And we can only really provide that if we ourselves feel safe and secure in our positions to be able to provide that safety and autonomy to our team members. So I'll share this quote with you, which is part of the article that helped inform this presentation, which is when autonomous, when autonomous, people are fully willing to do what they are doing and they embrace the activity with, with a sense of interest and commitment. Their actions emanate a true sense of self so they are being authentic. They're living their values, babes. In contrast, when controlled, people act without a sense of personal endorsement. The behavior is not an expression of self as the self has been subjugated to the controls. And so in this situation, if I'm a leader and I'm territorial because I had to take control over things when I was developing as a young person, um, then my team members are not going to feel that autonomy. They're going to feel like I'm watching over their, their shoulder as they're doing things. And they're going to feel like I'm going to prescribe the way in which they're supposed to do things every step of the way, which is going to cause them to kind of disengage and not be as motivated in the situation. So we'll share the truth behind motivation based on theory X and theory Y, which is that a person's values, ours, mine, yours, our employees, our students, um, the values greatly influence the effectiveness of a carrot or stick approach. So again, the carrot is the reward and the stick is the punishment. Um, but the, the idea here is that one's carrot may not, may be another person's stick. And so you, somebody might love public recognition and the other person might despise it. And it's like a punishment to them because they don't want to be put in that situation. And that's why it's so important that we get to know each other's true colors in that regard. So we're not um, providing a stick when a, we're really trying to celebrate some of those behaviors. And that same goes with threats. Somebody's threat could be another person's carrot. So <laughs> If we want to take that approach, um, then it's important to know that. But really, the people who change jobs, they're leaving organizations, they do it because their talents, interests, abilities, autonomy are ignored, they're wasted, they're not provided. Um, and then there are large gaps between who they are and what they want to become ultimately, which is a tough place to be. And we have some influence over that as leaders. So this may have been, um, in your mind, you may be thinking about the golden rule, which is, you know, treat others as you would want to be treated. And a lot of us maybe grew up with that meme in our heads and it worked for a while, it seems like perhaps. And, you know, for the most part, if, if I'm having a scoop of ice cream, I'm going to offer it to other people because that's what I would want 
somebody who is having a scoop of ice cream to offer to me. But really the idea here is to move towards that, what folks call the platinum rule, which is treat others as they want to be treated. And we can be blinded to that um, as leaders with the, those emotional gaps still existing and unrecognized un, um, or unacknowledged. And so the idea is to really get to know my own babes and my own memes and how they influence other people. But more importantly, figure out what um, is important to the people that we're working with and we have influence over so we can treat them as they would want to be treated and not mistake that carrot stick approach to our own expectations and values in an organization. So I know that's a lot of information in a short period of time. And my intent was to be a little bit more interactive with this, but I also realized that it can be a very personal journey to start to think about some of these things um, within oneself. And it's always, it's also not very fun to think about your life map or your life trajectory and highlight like, oh, what are the times where my needs might not have been met or I felt vulnerable or challenged or whatnot. And then how those experiences could even follow us today and impact our leadership style. So I'm gonna stop here for a moment and give everyone a chance to jot down some answers to these questions. You don't have to share, um, but the, the questions here that I'd like you to think about and maybe write down is um, what are your babes? You know, we talked about that in the beginning of the session and are there gaps or holes that you know are existing that may influence your leadership style and what behavior is manifesting from those and is there anything to that you can do or we can do to let go of that behavior then the other question is which defense mechanisms do you tend to use the most and maybe they were on the list or maybe they weren't and are they functional or dysfunctional so humor for example is a pretty functional defense mechanism. It's not all defense mechanisms are bad. They're really important because we're always gonna be put into that situation. And then finally, what are the core babes of the people that I supervise and influence? So I'm gonna pause there for a second so you can start thinking about and processing that. And if there's anything maybe in the first question that you wanna share to throw it in the chat, about values, assumptions, beliefs, or expectations, um, maybe values more specifically, go ahead and throw it in the chat. So Katie, I think for me, like one of my values, um, especially in what's going on in the world right now, politically, internationally, um, is respect um, and, and not, you know, making assumptions about other people, opinions and, and, and what they value and what they want and being really open to listening to what others are saying instead of being reactive. That's a great example. Thanks for sharing that. And it's so easy to go into the judging mode and the frustration mode and the feelings mode and the reaction mode. 
Um, and it's really hard to stop and think and empathize with the position of other people. And um, just being able to respect that perhaps somebody with a different worldview or mindset uh, had very, very different experiences that help inform that mindset. And while it may not be right according to our values, um, it's something that is easier to understand and appreciate. Any other examples of values that come to mind as we have this conversation? I don't see anything in the chat yet. Um, okay, no problem. I know these are, I, I told Deb when we began this presentation, like, you know, this is kind of a deep topic. It's, uh, it's, it's difficult to discuss sometimes, but again, I think it's really important as leaders that we do because um, rarely, rarely do we have these conversations. There's no really assessment for this. Um, and so it's good, I think, to reflect on it. And, and so, Katie, sorry, what, one yeah. more thing. I, I think it's, it's really important for everybody to recognize that even if we don't have a title in leadership, some way, somehow, we are all leaders um, with those that we interact with, whether it's a resident with their patient or um, you know, peer to peer, there's always going to be like a, a leader and a follower and in, in every situation. And so that title of leadership, you don't have to have program director or associate dean or director of faculty development to be a leader. Well said, absolutely. Um, well, I am at my last slide, so I appreciate your attention and interest in the topic, but the bottom line uh, here is really just understanding our true colors. Or some of these things that help inform our leadership style will help liberate our both our human and leadership potential to really make an impact on other people and perhaps change the world one healthy person at a time. So thank you so much for um, your interest and your interaction today. And I wish you the best of luck in your leadership journeys. And I'm happy to answer questions should anybody have any at this time. Katie, thank you so much for, for being here. This is my third time hearing an iteration of this presentation, and I think I take away something new every time. That's great to hear. Well, thank you, and thank you all. All right. Have a great day.